<coughs> in James chapter number 5. And James actually has, in this chapter here, has quite a bit to say about the subject of prayer. And we won't deal with everything in this chapter that talks about prayer. We're just going to deal with one, one thing tonight. And we'll probably, we may come back to this passage later on in our series as we continue just looking at different passages on the subject of prayer. But I'd like you to look at verse number 17. And in verse 17, the Bible says this, Elias, now that name Elias is just the New Testament spelling of Elijah. Elijah uh, was a prophet in the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. So when the names are translated into different languages, they take a little bit of a different pronunciation and spelling. And here we see Elias, who is who we know as Elijah, was a man subject to like passion as we are. And he prayed earnestly, and notice what it says, that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So here we have James given us an example of what you and I would maybe call a great man of prayer, or a prayer warrior. Uh, Elijah was a man who had the ability to get the ear of God and to get God to listen to him in prayer. Keep your finger there in James because we're going to come back to it. But go with me to the book of First Kings in the Old Testament. And let me show you a few things about Elijah. First Kings chapter number 17. If you start from Genesis, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, and then you've got the book of First Kings. If you find those books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First Second Chronicles, the books with the ones and the twos in front of them, they're all uh, put together there. First Kings chapter seventeen, and look at verse number one. We we could preach a whole series on the life of Elijah, and one day I'm sure I will do that. Elijah's a very interesting character in the Old Testament. And the Bible says that Elijah was a great man of prayer. And I want to give you some examples in regards to how Elijah's prayers were answered. We see the first one there in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. It's the same reference in James 5 that James is referring to. If you look at 1 Kings 17 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. Now Ahab is the king. Ahab is a wicked king. He's a bad king. And God is using Elijah to bring judgment upon Ahab and his kingdom. And Elijah is praying to God. Notice what he says. He said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. Notice what he says. There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according, notice what he says, to my word. Now, you know, we might look at that and say, well, that's a little uh, proud or a little arrogant there, Elijah, according to my word. But here's what Elijah was saying. Elijah was saying, I prayed. He was saying, I went to God and I asked God to withhold the rain and God granted my prayer. And he's telling Ahab, when rain comes again, it will be because I opened my mouth and I prayed to my God and I asked my God to allow it to rain. He opened his mouth here in prayer to God and we saw that God answered that prayer. And that's a, that's a huge thing. I mean, think about what it would mean to, uh, to be able to stop 
the rain, to be able to stop, you know, the weather. And of course, they needed the rain. I mean, you and I need the rain. You know, in the state of California, we've uh, been having a drought, you know, here, and it's affected the economy. But in those days, being an agricultural, uh, you know, society even way more than we are today, that rain, you know, was definitely needed in their society. And to have one man say, it won't rain for three and a half years, and then God to answer that prayer, that's quite a prayer that Elijah prayed for a drought. And here's what he was doing. He was bringing, you know, the economy, he was shutting down the economy and the prosperity of the nation so that their hearts may be turned back to God. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine praying that God would destroy the economy of the United States of America? I mean, could you imagine praying, God, I pray that you would just allow the dollar to collapse, that everyone would lose their houses, that people would starve. I mean, literally people starved during the time of Elijah because of his prayer, that people would starve, that people would lose their jobs, that everything would just fall apart so that people's hearts would be turned back to God. That's what Elijah prayed, and his prayer was answered. Look at verse number 17, same, same chapter there. You know the story of Elijah. He goes, I won't take the time, to, we won't take the time to read it, but you know the story of Elijah. He goes to the, the widow, and because of the drought, there she's getting ready to die. And she goes to that widow, and she says, I want you to, you know, God told me that you were going to feed me. And she basically says, well, I've got enough food here to feed myself and my son one last meal. I was going to make that meal, and then we were going to die. And Elijah says, okay, well, feed me first, <laughs> you know. And she, and she said, okay. So she fed him, and then God, of course, provided for them throughout that whole uh, famine there till it rained again. But if you look at verse 17, you have the son of that woman. Notice what it says. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman... The mistress of the house. This is the, the woman that Elijah went to. She's, you know, the oil's not running out and she's able, or the meal, I'm sorry, is not running out and she's able to feed him throughout the, the drought years there. And the Bible says that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. That means that he died. He didn't have, he, he wasn't breathing anymore. Verse 18. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She says, Elijah, why did you come here? She says, Elijah, you, you came, and because you came, my son has died. She said, are you, are you here to punish me? Are you here uh, to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Look at verse 19. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up out uh, into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried, notice, verse 20. And he cried unto the Lord, that's prayer, and said, notice what he says, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times. What he's doing is he's actually putting his body on top of this child's body three times and cried unto the Lord. He is speaking to God. He is crying. He's yelling to God. He cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, notice what he prayed, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Elijah is praying that God will bring this young boy back from the dead. 
He takes the, the corpse, he takes the, the body, the dead body of his child, puts it on his bed. The Bible says that he stretched himself upon it three different times, and he cried out unto God. He said, God, let this child live. God, let this child's soul come into him again. Look at verse 22. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Wouldn't you like the Bible to say that about your prayer, my prayer? When we cry out to God, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. So we have Elijah praying for a drought, praying that God would stop the rain from coming, and God answers his prayer. We have Elijah praying that the son of the widow with whom he is staying would be revived and brought back from the dead, and God answered his prayer. Look at 1 Kings chapter number 18. Now in 1 Kings 18, you probably have the most Famous story of Elijah, and I won't take the time to go through it, but, but if you remember, if you, if you read there verses 21 through 24, you'll find that Elijah sets out a challenge before the prophets, the false prophets of Baal. The Bible tells us that there was one Elijah and there was 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah basically goes to them and he says, choose one bullock. He says, cut it in pieces. He said, lay it on the wood. He said, put no fire under it. He said, he said prepare the sacrifice. Don't put any fire on it. And he said, I'll do the same thing. He said, I'll go and I'll dress the, the uh, bullock and I'll get it ready. And he said, uh, and he said, you're going to call on the names of your God and I will call on the names of my, of my God, of the Lord. And, he, and here was a challenge. He said, the God that answers with prayer, he will be God. So he says, you guys get your sacrifice ready. I'll get my sacrifice ready. And, and you ask your God to set your sacrifice on fire. And I'll ask my God to set my sacrifice on fire. And whichever God answers, then, then that's the true God. That's the challenge. And of course, he allows the prophets of Baal to go first. He says that they can dress the, in verses 25 to 29 there, he, he tells them to choose the bullock and to dress it first. And if you've read the story, you know they called on the name of Baal. For morning until noon, and morning in the Bible is usually a reference to about 6 a.m. So from 6 a.m. to noon, they are calling upon the, na uh, upon the name of Baal there, and there was no voice, the Bible says, there was no answer, and they leaped upon the altar, so they're starting to have a little bit of a charismatic uh, you know, service there, and they're starting to get excited a little bit, and they're leaping, and they're speaking in tongues, or I don't know what they're doing. Uh, the Bible tells us that they uh, even started to cut themselves. Bible says they took knives, and it says, as their manner was. And that ought, that ought to tell you something. Here you got prophets of Baal, who ba Baal, you know, is Satan. Uh, you know, literally, all, all the false gods were devils. But when we refer to Baal, or Beelzebub, as he's referred to in the New Testament, it's Satan. And here you've got the prophets of Baal cutting themselves. It, it ought to tell you something. Today, you know, people want to cut themselves. It's a satanic thing. But these people begin to cut themselves and they're jumping and they're yelling and they're crying aloud. Uh, and the Bible says that, you know, it's past midday and Elijah starts to have some fun with them. He starts to mock them. He starts to make fun of them. He says, you know, uh, maybe you need to uh, cry a little louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's pursuing. Maybe you need to wake him up. And he's just mocking at them. And they do this till about 6 p.m. The Bible says till about the evening sacrifice. So from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. These guys have been jumping and cutting each other and, and just having a show and nothing's happened. And then, of course, in verses 18 and verses 30 through 35, Elijah says, okay, guys, it's my turn. And he takes a bullock, 
and he cuts it up. The Bible says he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And he took 12 stones and he set them up to, uh, you know, for the 12 sons of Jacob there. And he built the altar. And the Bible says he did something interesting. He dug a trench around the altar. He, 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 he dug, you know, deep around the altar a trench, and then he asked the people to fill four barrels of water, and he asked them to dump the water on both the sacrifice and the altar, and he told them they did it once, they did it a second time, they did it a third time. The Bible says they did it till the sacrifice and the altar were drenched with water, and this trench that was around the altar was filled with water. So the water ran round about the altar, is what the Bible says. And in verse 36, Elijah begins to pray. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Now we're about to read his prayer. Here's his prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. That's his prayer. His prayer spans two verses. And look at the response, verse 38. The Bible says, Then fire of the Lord fell. And here's how it fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stone, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. I mean, it, it, he didn't just catch the thing on fire. He consumed the entire thing. He evaporated all the water. He just caught this thing on fire. This was Elijah. And by the way, now don't you say, well, this is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. It is, but here's what you got to understand. This is Elijah's prayer life. When Elijah got alone with God to pray, he prayed that God would not allow the rain to come. And God would have said, oh, okay, we won't let the rain come. And Elijah would pray that God would revive a child that is dead. And God would say, okay, Elijah, I hear your prayer. And he would revive that child. And God, Elijah would pray that, that God would bring fire down from heaven. To consume a sacrifice. And God would bring down such a fire that it would not only catch the sacrifice on fire, it burnt up the wood, it burnt up the rock, it burnt up the water, it, it licked up the water, it got everything. Look at verse 41, same chapter. 1 Kings 18 and verse 41, the Bible says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and drink. For there is a sound of abundance of rain. Remember, we already saw that Elijah told Ahab, Hey, when it rains, it will be at my word. Now Elijah says to Ahab, I think I hear rain. And notice he begins to pray, verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth. By the way, that's a good way to, to pray, probably, to cast yourself down upon the earth. And he put his face between his knees. He's praying. Notice what happens, verse 43. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. So seven times he tells the servant, hey, go, go over there and, and, and look at the sea and tell me, does it look like rain's coming? And his servant would come and say, nope, nothing's coming. And he said, go again, I'm going to keep praying. And he went again and, and he would come back and he said, you see anything? Nope, didn't see anything. He said, go again, I'm going to keep praying. And, and he would go and it is seven times. He went back and forth, back and forth. And Elijah kept praying, look at verse 44. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. 
And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Verse 45, And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Would you agree with me that Elijah had a great prayer life? I mean, would you agree with me that Elijah was the type of guy that, I mean, he could get his prayers answered? I mean, he's praying. I don't know about you, but I've never gone to a funeral and asked God to revive someone and had him do it. I've never asked God to stop the rain and have him do it, to start the rain and have him do it, to rain down fire and have him do it. Elijah was a man that knew how to get his prayers answered. And if you go back to James chapter 5 with me, I want you to notice as we begin this study on the subject of prayer, and I want to just kind of preach an introductory type sermon to the subject of prayer. I want you to understand this. It's easy for us to say, and I want you to listen to me. It's easy for us to say, I'm no Elijah. Elijah can pray. And Joshua can pray and ask God to, you know, stop the sun and, and, and God will do that. And Moses can pray and ask God to part the Red Sea. And Moses can pray and ask God to bring down those plagues to Egypt and God will do that. And, and you know, uh, and, and Jesus prayed and Paul prayed and Peter prayed, you know, and, and, and God will do that for those men. But I'm not Elijah and I'm not Moses and I'm not Joshua and I'm not Abraham and I'm, I'm not, I'm just me. And I can't ask God to do something great and expect God to do it. But I'd like you to look at James chapter 5 and verse 17. The Bible says this. Elias was a man. I want you to make note of this phrase and you ought to underline it in your Bible. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says Elijah was one of the greatest prayer warriors that ever lived. In fact, when the New Testament writer James wanted to talk to us about a great man of God that knew how to get the ear of God and knew how to get the power of God, it's like he brings up Elijah because he knows that you and I know the stories about Elijah. We know that God allowed Elijah to pray and stop the rain and bring the rain and bring the fire and revive the dead and do all those things. And, and then he says this, he says, but you know what? Elijah was a man subject to like passions. As we are. Here's what he's saying. Elijah's no different than you. And Elijah's no different than me. Keep your finger there in James. Go with me to Romans just real quickly. Romans chapter number 2. Look at verse number 11. Small verse, but I just want you to see it. Romans chapter number 2, verse number 11. See, it's easy to say, well, pastor so-and-so, you know, he has the power of God. And, and preacher so-and-so and, and that prophet and that guy and that man and those people, they can do it. But God can never use me like that. God would never answer my prayers like that. God would never hear me like that. But here's what you understand. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Romans chapter number 2 and verse 11 says this. For there is no respect of persons with God. You know that God has no respect for anybody more than he has for you? Meaning, not that God doesn't love us and like us, but here's what, here's what that verse means. God, there, see, because you, you and I are humans. You know, we, we look at somebody and we say, well, so-and-so's dressed real nice, and so-and-so doesn't dress that nice, and in our minds, I have more respect for so-and-so. Or, you know, I like so-and-so, and I don't like so-and-so. So, you know, so-and-so gets on my nerves. But you know that God doesn't like anybody more than he likes someone else? And God doesn't respect anybody more than he respects anyone else. Here's what the Bible says. God doesn't like Elijah more than he likes you. 
God doesn't like Moses more than he likes me. God doesn't want to use Paul more than he wants to use you. In fact, God wants to use us all the same. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. Here's what the Bible says. God can answer your prayers like he answered Elijah's prayers. In fact, he wants to answer your prayers just like he answered Elijah's prayers. Because there is no respect of persons with God. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. You say, well, what's the difference between Elijah and me? Because I don't get my prayers answered like Elijah. Well, the answer is in verse 17. Notice what it says. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And, now pay attention. Here's the difference between me and Elijah. And between you and Elijah. He prayed. The Bible says, you have not because ye ask not. And the truth of the matter is, and we'll get into it more as the weeks come, if we were honest, and we won't be tonight, and if we took a survey, and we won't, but if we were honest with ourselves, we would have to say, and if we were honest with God, who already knows the truth anyway, if you had to measure how much time you spend in prayer, as opposed to how much time you spend in anything else, We spend more time taking a shower. We spend more time eating. You spend more time in front of the television. You spend more time, you spent more time on Facebook today than you spent. You spent more time communicating with your 7,000 friends you've never even met than you spent communicating with God. And that's the truth. You know it is. See, we say, well, God doesn't have my prayers. But here's the problem. We don't pray. Well, God, God's never done anything great for me. Well, when's the last time you asked God to do something great for you? And I'm not talking about, you know, God, thank you for this meal. We're not talking about, you know, now I pray me down to sleep. I don't even know it, you know. I ask the Lord my soul to keep. You shouldn't be praying that anyway. What, you're asking God to save you every night? No, and if I die before I wake, I ask the Lord my soul to take? What's that? You ask God to save you one time, okay? Amen. You know, but we got these little ditties of prayer. And I pray before my meal. I pray before I go to sleep. And I go, but when's the last time you and I got on our knees before God and ask God to do the impossible? Say, so, well, I don't pray for God to send fire down from heaven because God would never send fire down from heaven. He did it for Elijah. See, we pray for things, and they're weak. See, Elijah, not only did he pray, notice verse 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed, but that's not it. Step one is he prayed. Step two is he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. That word earnestly means of serious intention, of serious purpose, of effort, sincerely zealous. Here's here's the truth of the matter. We pray, barely, and when we pray, it's weak. When we pray, it's dead. When we pray, it's lame. When we pray, it's boring. See, Pastor, I don't pray because I fall asleep while I'm praying. There's a problem with that. It's be- you, you, think, you think Elijah fell asleep while praying that God would revive a dead child? You think Elijah fell asleep when he's asking God to bring fire down from heaven? 
See, the problem with our prayer lives is this. They're non-existent, and when they are existent, they're dead. James 5 and verse 16 says this, and it's kind of the context of the story that we've been, passage we've been looking at. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. Now I want you to notice this phrase, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word effectual comes from the same word as effective. It means successful in producing a desired or intended result effective. Is your prayer effectual? Can you say, you know, my prayer is successful in producing the desired result? Because Elijah could say that. Elijah could say, when I pray, it's effectual. When I pray, it's effective. When I pray, God hears. When I pray, God answers. Here's a question. Can you say that? And here's a question. Can I say that? The effectual, but notice, it's not just effectual, because we like effectual That's God. That's what God, God does the effectual for us. Here's what we do. Fervent. The word fervent means having or displaying a passionate intensity. Hot, burning, glowing. Let me ask you this. Is your prayer life dead or is it on fire? Are you excited to get along with God and say, God, you know what? I've got some needs. God, I've got some things I need you to do. God, I've got some things that I just can't do on my own. If you don't step in, God, it's not going to get done. And see, that's where the fervency comes in. When you pray, you know, we pray for our little, you know, God, you know, help this and God help that and God be with uncle so-and-so. And, you know, but here's the thing. When we pray for things that require God, that we realize I cannot do it if God does not step in. That's when you start getting a little fervent. When you say, God, if, 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 you don't, if you don't do this, God, if, if you don't do this, it's not going to get done. I remember when we moved into this building about a year ago, we stepped out by faith. I don't know what that means, really, but we did it to rent this facility. And we signed a lease to rent $3,500 you know, uh, a month. The problem was that the month that we moved in, the church brought in $3,000 that month. <laughs> and we'd taken a special offering, you know, for all sorts of things, and, and that was part of it. But, you know, there's something about put, putting yourself in a position. I'm not talking about being dumb. But there's something about being in a position where you say, God, if you don't step in, and God, if you don't take care of this, and God, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. There's something about those types of prayers that keep you awake. There's something about those types of prayer that keep you fervent. And the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer. The word prayer means ask. The effectual, fervent asking of a righteous man. And we'll get into that in a few weeks. Don't don't expect God to answer your prayers if, if you're not right with Him. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. We allow things into our minds and into our hearts and into our thoughts that upset the Holy Spirit, and then we're upset when the Holy Spirit doesn't answer our prayers. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and here's the key word, availeth much. That word availeth means to help or give an advantage. Let me just ask you a question, and we're just kind of getting into this idea of prayer. But let me ask you a question. Don't you have a need in your life that you need God to step in for? 
mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children or relationship. Maybe it's your finances, your job opportunities, or, or bills that need to be paid. Or, you know, uh, you know, our church, I mean, good night. Our, our church, we had 112 people here on, on Sunday morning. And out of those 112 people, I think our church has eight or nine business owners in, in our church. I, I don't think that's normal. I, I, I don't think a church our size usually has that many business owners. I talked to somebody who, um, you know, they, a pastor who, been pastoring for like 30 years or something, and they, they have 200 people in their church. He says he has three or four business owners. I said, I don't know why we have so many business owners in our church, but you know, you, you business owners, you, you need to figure out how to pray if God's going to step in and help you. I mean, if this, if this church is going to do what it needs to do, we need to figure out how to get our answers prayed. We need to figure out how to get the ear of God. Isn't there something like that in your life? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's the health of a loved one. Maybe it's people in your life that you'd like to be, see saved. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but isn't there something in your life that you, you'd say, God, God, I need your help here. Because if there is, then the good news that I have for you is that just like Elijah got his prayers answered, you can too. Now there's a trick to it. There's a science to it. We'll be looking at it over the next few weeks, what the Bible says about how to get our prayers answered and how to get the attention of God and how to get the ear of God so that when we speak up to God and we say, God, I'm in a situation here, God, where I can't do this and God... You told me to come to this widow, and you told me she would take care of me, and you told me it would be great, and here I am, and her son's dead, and she's blaming me, and God, I don't understand why you did this, but would you do me a favor and bring him back? And God will say, okay, I hear you, Elijah. You want what? Fire? Sure, sure, Elijah. You want to stop raining? Okay, you want to start raining? We can do that. See, I don't know about you, but I'd love to have that relationship with God. Where every time I bowed my head and closed my eyes and spoke to my father, I not only knew he was hearing me, but I knew that he was listening and wanting to answer my prayer. And maybe that's you tonight, maybe it's not, I don't know. But if you've got things you need answered in your life and you need to become that Elijah, I want to encourage you over the next few weeks to be here on Wednesday nights as we study this subject of prayer and this idea of prayer because prayer is not something mystical. Prayer is not something that, well, the pastors do that and the priests do that and the prophets do that and and the men of God, they, they do that. No, no. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. The only difference between him and us is that he prayed fervently, he prayed effectually, and his prayer availeth much. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father,